Well, we ask you to give us your big questions. Those things about faith or Christianity or the Bible or life that you just struggle with or don't understand or want answers to. And last week, we attempted to address the, the big question of holy war or what we call Yahweh war, this idea that God would call the nation of Israel to go in uh, into Canaan and completely destroy the people and the culture there. Now, that is a big question, isn't it? And if you missed it, I would encourage you to go online on our website and, uh, and listen to it. Roman and Charlie did a fantastic job of addressing this big question that many have uh, about God and, and his justice and mercy. And today, we're going to address not just one question, but two. That's right. You get two sermons in one today, two for the price of one. Congratulations to you. It is your lucky day. We're going to be addressing two questions. And the, and the question that we're looking at, we, we got probably 20, 25 questions. And this question that we're going to look at, initially, I just kind of skipped over and I thought I wasn't going to address it. But then we had a couple other questions that kind of correlated to it. And, and it just kind of intrigued me. And here's the question. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? Now, you would think that as a church, as a people who follow Christ, that this is something we should all know. And I think for the most part, we do. But sometimes we need a reminder about what a Christian really is and what the Christian faith is. And on the flip side, we should know what a Christian isn't. And I would also bet that there are some here who don't know really what a Christian is. Some who maybe have not given their life completely over to God. And so that's the, the first question we're gonna deal with this morning. What is a Christian? So let's dive right in. And we're gonna look at the most famous scriptures of all time uh, to address this question. Other than Psalm 23, this is the most memorized, the most quoted scripture of all. And of course, it is John 3:16. You know it. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. There it is, the, kind of the summary of the gospel or the good news as we call it. And it begins with the affirmation that there is a God for God. You know, each major religion of the world has something to say about God, about who God is. In Christianity, we begin with a picture of God as love, for God so loved. Other faiths affirm this idea, but for Christians, this is the starting point. This is the beginning. God created because God loved. Because God loved, God created. God is love. That is a, a foundational truth of what we believe as Christians, and it affects how we view God. If we don't get this right, then we struggle with who God is. And 
In fact, it affects how others view us as well. Many outside of the Christian faith, they scratch their heads at what we believe about God because it is different from any other worldview and faith. Because when we talk about God, our picture of God is so vastly different from what they would expect. And much of that confusion boils down to our understanding of who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? How do we deal with Jesus? Now, outside of the Christian faith, people like Jesus, but they really don't know what to do with Jesus. Especially when Jesus talks about his relationship with God. In fact, the early church had to wrestle with this itself. Who is Jesus? How do we, how do we deal with this? What does one do with these words that we have recorded about Jesus and what Jesus actually said? When Jesus said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or when he said, the Father and I are one. Or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Or go into the world baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Only in Christianity we teach that God is three persons in one. A concept called the Trinity. God is Father. God is Son in Jesus Christ. And God is the Holy Spirit. The concept of the Trinity is peculiar to Christianity. There's no other religion that really has this idea. God as one, but three persons in one. And we see this imagery throughout the Christian faith. We have it before you right here. This is the Trinity. You have three overlapping circles, three in one. You have the triangle with the three sides three in one, and these overlapping. This is a, a picture of Trinity, God as Father, God as Son, God as Holy Spirit. This concept of Trinity, God as Father, God as Son, God as Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is what we have. And, and when we talk about Trinity, many people, they scratch their heads Many Christians, we scratch our heads and say, I don't understand that. How can God be three in one? That's a good question. None of you asked that, so we're not going to address that one. So I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. The Trinity is a holy mystery. It is something we cannot completely understand. Three persons, one God. We don't completely understand it. Now, I know some of you like mysteries. Others of you do not, and you want to know everything, and you want to have it nice and clean edges and, and, and know exactly what it's like. Sorry. In this one, God is God. You are not. You don't get to know everything because you are not God. This is where faith comes in. This is where you have to trust but I honestly, I love this holy mystery of God as Trinity. And, and, and the reason I love it so much, I can't completely understand it, but it brings me joy and peace and comfort. For the very idea of Trinity is a love relationship. God the Father in a perfect love relationship with God the Son. In a perfect love relationship with God the Spirit. Even in the very essence of who God is, 
is love and relationship and community and a God that desires to be in relationship with what he has created. The other major religions of the world don't begin with the idea of God as love. So they have a harder time seeing the concept of the Trinity. A holy God who lives in perfect community, who values personal relationships. And since we are created in God's image, God has called us to be in deep personal, personal relationships and to live in community as well, bound by his holy love. It is because God so loved the world that he acted in Jesus Christ. And everything in the gospel, the good news, comes from this idea. So we move from this picture of who God is. God is love, who loves community and, and loves to be in relationship with us. And we move from our concept of God to this idea of humanity and the human condition. John 3.16 is a summary of the Christian gospel. And the gospel writer of John, he's very good at writing these short, compact summary statements, simple statements with powerful implications and meanings. And here we see a God who acted to save the world from perishing. Christianity sees the gospel, the good news, as, as God's rescue plan, his solution to a problem. And the problem is our brokenness and our sin. You see, in Christianity, we take an honest look at the human condition and we have come to the conclusion that there's something wrong with us. There's something broken within us. I think if we live long enough, we come to realize that the, the evil in this world, if you think about it for a minute, as I dwell on who I am in my capacity to sin and do evil, there's probably nothing that I might not do if given and put in the right situation. And that is a sobering realization that there is something broken in me. You know, last week when, when Roman in, in this service was addressing the issue of, of holy war and the Bible and violence, and he was talking about how, gosh, there's so much violence in the Bible, isn't there? And so many people, that they struggle with that. When they read the Bible, and like, oh, it's just violent and messy and bad. It is. Because humanity is violent. And in Christianity, we don't sugarcoat the problem of us. We address, God addresses it head on. We take an honest look at the human condition and see that there's something wrong with me. And further, that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves from the problems of our brokenness and sin. You know, I remember when I was young, I had a wrong idea about Christianity, what it meant to be a Christian. And this was my basic premise that I thought Christianity meant. If I did more good in my life than bad, I would be saved. But if I did more bad in my life than good, then I was going to be condemned to hell. Do you know what that is? That ain't Christianity. That ain't it at all, because in Christianity, we have come to the conclusion there ain't enough good that we can do to outweigh the bad and the brokenness that we have within us. And living that way, trying to, to balance those scales of justice can be tough. It can kind of consume us and, and bring us anxiety. Did I do enough good today to over, overcome my bad? It's a terrible way to live. 
Other major religions have that as a belief. But in Christianity, we have a God saying, you can't save yourself. Don't even try. You will find yourself wanting. But God says, I will save you. I will give you grace. Grace that in spite of your sins and brokenness, I will save you. Listen, church, to be a Christian is not about being good. Christianity is not about being good, not at all. To be a Christian, we have to understand that we are sinners who can only be saved by God's grace. True Christianity is not about being good. True Christianity is about our recognition of sin and our recognition and acceptance of God's grace. Christianity knows that for all the goodness inside of us, there's still evil close at hand. And Christianity takes an honest assessment of the human condition and recognizes that sin is at the root of all of our problems in the world. And because of that sin, the world is perishing. The world is broken. That is the implicit belief in our scripture. And further, God doesn't want us to perish because God loves us. That is the good news, which brings us to God's rescue plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This was God's plan from the beginning. I believe it. I believe even back in Genesis, when God created the world, he knew that we would reject him and go our own way. When Adam and Eve chose to follow their own ways, God set his plan in motion. And so God became human in Jesus Christ, came down from heaven and walked this earth. It is a scandal and a mystery. How can God be human? You didn't ask that question either. It's a good question. I can't explain it. It's a holy mystery. God became human. This is the part of our faith that other religions cannot accept. They cannot accept a God that would humble himself so much that he would stoop so low to actually become a human, to experience the wounds and joys of childhood, that would go through adolescence and inner adulthood, that new temptation, hard work, frustration, disappointment, love, friendship, and even betrayal, that would experience loneliness and fear. A God that walks in our shoes. That is the scandal and the mystery. You see in Jesus, we see what it is that God has done. The, the links in which God will do to dwell with us. And we see where we should live and how we should live. And we, where we come to understand the heart and character of who God is. Jesus became a, a victim of the evil of humanity and was beaten, humiliated, abused, tortured, and then died with nails piercing his hands and feet on a cross and a crown of thorns placed upon his head in order to deliver us from perishing. In the crucifixion of Jesus, we see the brokenness of humanity by showing us that even the most righteous and powerful leaders failed to recognize him and instead sought his destruction. Of course, the good news of our faith is that our, our faith doesn't end with the cross. 
Jesus died on a Friday, but he was raised to life on a Sunday. And that resurrection proved Jesus' identity as Savior and Lord to show us that death is not the final resting place for us. But as John reminds us later in the gospel, I am the resurrection and I am life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. What a great verse. What a great summary and reminder. What Jesus tells us, I am the resurrection and I am life. So in Jesus' death and resurrection, we find the ultimate triumph of good over evil, of grace over sin, of God over Satan, of life over death, and this gives us hope. And we also recognize, as the book of Acts tells us, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. There's salvation in no one else. And that brings us to our response. We understand who God is. We understand our human condition. And how do we respond to that? God did all of this for us, but he does not force himself on us. He does not demand that we follow and obey, but he does ask for a response. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Here's the thing, all other major religions in the world place salvation on our shoulders. It's all about our effort. It's all about our being good. It's, it's all about if we work harder, if we learn more, if we pursue five pillars, if we eliminate desire. But in Christianity, we have a God who says, you can't do this on your own. In fact, you've done a pretty poor job of saving yourself. So let's try it another way. I will save you. In Christianity, we have a God who seeks after us first, who says, I will set you free. I will forgive. I will seek you before you ever seek me. In Christianity, we have a God who seeks, a God who takes the first step, a God who comes down to us. In the other face of the world, it is us seeking after God or peace. But in Christianity, we have a God who seeks us first. And it is because of God's seeking that we can obtain salvation. And this is by God's grace, a gift. All we can do is accept it or reject it. To believe it or not. To trust in it or not. But if we do, we give thanks for it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. But this brings us to our second question that was asked about Christianity and about being a Christian. And I quote, is there anything you can say or do to remove you from God's grace? It's a good question. I like that one because it's something we struggle with sometimes. Is there anything we can say or do to remove us from God's grace? As Methodist Christians, we believe that the only thing that can remove you from God's grace is to not accept God's grace, to not live under that grace and lordship of Jesus. I know that in the gospel of Matthew and Mark, Jesus talks about what many call the unforgivable sin, and I'm not sure if that's where this question was going, but I wanted to address that briefly. That unforgivable sin, if you remember, Jesus says, is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But I don't know if you remember the context of what's going on in this verse in both Matthew and Mark. The context of the verse, though, reveals that 
there, Jesus is interacting with these religious leaders. And these religious leaders are not placing themselves under the authority of Jesus and his message. Jesus is healing. And they're saying, no, he's demon possessed. Jesus is trying to give them wisdom about who God is. And they're saying, no, we're not going to believe that authority. They're attributing his miracles and his teachings to Satan and not to the spirit. Therefore, they were subject to condemnation because of the rejection of Jesus. And they, in effect, attributed the spirit's work to Satan and Jesus' work to Satan. They had conspired to destroy Jesus. They would not accept his message of grace and trust in him. So yes, there is one thing that can keep you from salvation. And that is to reject the offer of salvation and reject placing yourself under the lordship of Jesus. You can't get around Jesus, though. When you come face to face with Jesus, you have to make some answer. I think there's only two options that we can come away with when we see Jesus. And I love how C.S. Lewis states it eloquently in his book, Mere Christianity. If you haven't read it, it's a great book. Here Lewis is talking about Jesus, what to do with Jesus. He says this, and I quote, a man who was merely a man like Jesus and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The things Jesus claimed are beyond any human's ability to claim. The things he did are beyond any human ability to do. So you have two options. He is either Lord or he's a lunatic. One of the two. So what is a Christian? Nothing more than a person who understands that they are a sinner, who are broken, and can only be saved by God's grace and forgiveness by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We're not any better than anyone else. We're not any smarter than anyone else. We have just said, oh, thank you, God, for saving a sinner like me. You cannot truly know life in its fullness until you've accepted him. And I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out on that. So let's pray.